Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. We're going to begin reading at verse 32. You may think this is a strange passage to be reading here close Christmas time when it deals with the crucifixion. But I'm not going to be speaking of the crucifixion nearly as much as dealing with the situation, the condition of those people at the crucifixion, particularly the one thief that was crucified with the Lord. Verse 32 of chapter 23, there was also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood to beholding, and the rulers also with them, derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. One of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. The other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Let us pause for just a moment of prayer. We thank you, Lord, our God, our Father, our Savior, for giving us your Son, whose birth we remember during this month, this morning whose death we shall recall as we study your word. May we truly meet you this morning as our Savior and Lord. And if in our congregation there is anyone has never made that personal decision to follow you, give the life to you. Today might be the day of decision. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're all well acquainted with the story of the crucifixion. We know that Jesus was forced to go through the streets of Jerusalem carrying his cross, until finally he stumbled under the weight of it. They required 
another man, a black man, to pick it up and finally carry it out to Calvary. There we remember that they nailed him to the cross with spikes, then hoisted that cross into the air and dropped it into the hole. And on each side of him there was a criminal who had been condemned to death by the Roman courts that were to be crucified at the same time. There are lots of ways that we can look at this particular episode, but I, I want you to think in terms of the fact that Jesus was being executed as a common criminal and being placed with those who had done deeds against the government that justified their death. But I want us more to look at the criminals beside him this morning than at Jesus himself. What possibly did they do that would cause them to be executed? We know what Jesus did, or what he was accused of doing. That is, he was accused of blaspheming God in claiming to be his son. But what did these men do that caused them to be in this condition? We don't know, other than they're called thieves. But we would assume that their criminal record was fairly severe. They were not just ones who had been caught up in, in a single incident of stealing something, but they had had lives that were demonstrated to be criminal in nature. Why are they thus? We knew their background, we might be able to say that they came out of a bad home life, where their mothers and dads did not train them up in the way that they ought to go, and so we could blame their, their families, perhaps, for the condition that they're in. We probably could look at society and say that they provided no mechanism for these men to overcome their tendency to be criminal. The world, the, the community in which they lived, just simply turned a deaf ear to them and allowed them to do whatever they wanted to do without any reprisal. We might say that the school failed them because they didn't teach these boys the difference in right and wrong and how they ought to act and what their, their responsibility it actually is to the people in their community. We could say probably the church failed them. If the church did not reach out to them and bring them in, but was too much interested in just staying with their own little group, taking care of their members and, and the people that come to the building for services and don't have too much outreach uh, as a part of their program to go out in the community as Jesus admonished us to do and and bring them in. We could blame lots of different people and groups for the failure that uh, they had in their part in seeing these boys go astray. We would be accurate in every one, probably every one of those accusations. Certainly we must recognize that the church has not done a very good job. This 
community in which we live, the whole United States, and probably even the world, is well founded in Christian doctrine and principles. We've had churches in this land of ours since the beginning uh, from the pilgrims on, and yet we do not find that we have influenced our country and reduced thereby the criminal element, but that it is on the increase. We could charge the school with similar accusations. Saw a little thing in the paper this week about a teacher who should have kept in retention one of her students and was criticized for not doing so. And the teacher said, I wouldn't be caught in that building after hours with somebody that I had put in detention. And I think there's pretty good reason as to why that possibly would not be done. And uh, we would probably have to have guards to protect many of the teachers in those cases with, with that uh, punishment actually be exercised. So on we can go. But the bottom line is... The scripture tells us without error that it is the soul that sinneth that dies. It is not the mother and the father. It is not the culture. It is not the school. It is not the church. Every individual is responsible for himself. And that person who goes to hell does not drag with him his church nor his school, nor his community, nor his family. He goes there because of his own determination to refuse to accept the gospel that has been made available, however weak that presentation might have been. The two men were on each side of the Savior. One man said, if you really are the Christ, then save yourself and us. His interest was in his own salvation, that is, physical salvation off the cross. The other man said to his friend, look, we deserve what we're getting. This man hasn't done anything wrong. I want to make a point. That was some exceptions, I'm sure, that we would have to put into it. A person knows the difference between right and wrong, and he personally has made the decision to do it, whichever. With some exceptions, I would say. This man knew that he had committed a crime deserving of execution. He knew it. We know in our world that it is wrong to murder, to steal, to lie, to cheat, and all the other things that go on. We know that whether we were taught it in our homes or whether we were taught it in society or in the school or in the church or were never taught it at all, 
There is something in mankind that makes him understand there is a certain pattern of living that is acceptable and a certain pattern that is not acceptable. He said, I know that we have committed a pattern of life that is not acceptable and therefore deserve our punishment. A hopeless case, it would appear, was nailed to a cross. This one man looked over at Jesus, said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's interesting Jesus' response. He could have turned to the man and said, I'm sorry, fella, but your kind won't be in my kingdom. No murderer is going to be in my kingdom. No robber. Nobody living the life like you have lived will ever be in my kingdom. I reject you, man. Your life is unacceptable to me. That's what the church says. That's what society says. That's even what families say. Jesus didn't say. He said to the man today, you'll be with me. To translate it in terms that we can understand probably even easier, today you will be saved. In spite of the fact that he was such a hopeless case. Not too long ago, in this community, I talked with a man about his salvation. And to put it in short words, that was a part of a longer conversation, this man said to me, I'm too bad to ever be saved. I can't be saved. What I've done is unacceptable. But I talked with him for a good period of time, and I thought I had him ready to accept the Lord, and I went over close to him and sat down by him, and I said, all right, now that you want to be saved, let me help you out through the process. I said, right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a prayer that, that I want you to make your own. You don't have to talk to God. So I began the prayer, and I said in my prayer, for him to repeat, dear Lord, I am a sinner. And I stopped, and there was not one word came out of that man's mouth. He began to weep, and the tears ran down his face, but he would not admit he was a sinner. I stopped the prayer and talked some more. He shook and wept, and never would he admit. 
without that admission, there cannot be salvation. One must be willing to say like the thief on the cross, I deserve what I'm getting. But Lord, remember me. And the Lord responded, I will remember you. Today you will be with me. The scripture does not put a limit on how bad a person can get. And therefore not be saved. Or how far you can go before you fall over the line. Not to be saved. Because the scripture says, Whosoever will may come. Or another verse, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what I was trying to get this man to do, was call on the name of the Lord, like the thief did. And ask for salvation. He just couldn't do it. Now look at another thing about this thief. How long would it take you to become saved? I want to suggest to you that salvation is instantaneous. One moment person is lost, the next moment a person is saved. Jesus did not say, well, okay, I would like to receive you, but you're going to have to go through some classes first and learn what it's all about. He didn't have very long to go through those classes. He didn't say to the man, I'll be glad to save you, but first you're going to have to understand the Bible. That is, statement is made to me over and over again. I don't know enough about the Bible to be saved. One doesn't have to ever even have opened the Bible. Some would say, well, I, the Lord will save you, but first you're going to have to go to church a while. Well, if going to church was going to be the means of saving this man, he's going to be lost because he was never going to get a chance to go to church. Never was he going to get a chance to read the Bible. He was never going to get the chance to be baptized. He was going to die in a few minutes. Still hanging on a cross. He wasn't going to have a chance to be on probation and see if he could hold out. He was going to go to paradise or he was going to go to Hades in a matter of moments. Before that day was out, within a period of three hours, the man would be somewhere or other out of this world. And by the request that he made to Jesus, his 
destiny was sealed. A person by the name of Robert G. Lee from Memphis, Tennessee, made this observation about the three men who died that day on Calvary. Let me give it to you. He said one man died for sin, one man died in sin, and one man died from sin. He said one man died in love, one man died in despair, one man died in faith. One man died a benefactor. One man died a blasphemer. One man died a believer. They all died on that cross that day. The one man, of course, who died for sin, who died in love, and who died as a benefactor, we know was Jesus Christ. The two thieves represent the other two. One died in sin. The unrepentant thief. The other died from sin. Went to paradise. The unrepentant died in despair, but the repentant thief died in faith. The unrepentant thief died a blasphemer of God's name. The repentant thief died a believer. Listen, all of us are going to die one or the other. If you're not a Christian this morning, you'll die either in sin or you'll die from sin. Well, we're all in that case. We're all going to die in despair or in faith. We're all going to die a blasphemer of God's name by refusing to believe or a believer. This thief had spent his life in searching for things that would satisfy him. He had such an appetite for possessions that he would steal to have, and he was never satisfied. Then he discovered that the greatest treasure that was on earth or in heaven above was hanging beside him just a few moments before his own death. Eternal life is the greatest treasure that there is. He found it at the end of his life. The benefit and the blessing that most of us have this morning is that we found that great treasure early in life and can enjoy it all during our life. Some have not yet found it and have missed the great blessing that God would give them. What do we teach about salvation? Let me suggest some things that some people teach. Some people teach that in order to be saved, you must work for it. You're going to have to build up a bank account, a great amount of things you've done in your life overbalance all the bad things. And when you get to heaven, if the scales balance in your direction, you're saved. They don't balance in your direction. You're lost. That's what some teach. 
You know, it would worry me through all my life if I thought my salvation was based on how those scales are balanced at any moment in my life. Because I know that my scales are balanced toward the bad side many, many times. Very seldom does the scales ever get balanced to my favor. Because that's depending upon me to live and do and be. Something that's probably beyond my capability or at least my willingness to live that kind of life. But those who would advocate that you're never going to know till you get to heaven how the scales are balanced have failed to recognize the scripture says, for by the grace of God are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. The problem is if a person works for his salvation, he's going to boast of what he has done. And that's what happens on the day of judgment. And when people stand before God and try to give an account of themselves, they start saying, Lord, didn't I do many wonderful things in your name? I preached, I taught. I even cast out David. I did all kinds of things. And the Lord, in response to that kind of thing, is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. That's salvation by works, which does not compute in God's computer. Some say you're going to have to join our church. You know churches who say that, don't you? If you're not a member of our church, brother, you're doomed for hell. So I have heard. And I have been told, since I don't speak in tongues, I can't make it. I have been told that you must be baptized in order to be saved. I've been told you're going to have to go to a class. And you're going to come out of that class and be confirmed. And I asked a student of mine one time, what happened to her when she got confirmed? And I don't know, I just went to class. They said I was confirmed. Said, what does that mean? I don't know what it means. So she didn't learn too much in that class. But that's not according to the scripture. What Jesus said to the thief, he had no opportunity to comply with works or church membership or baptism or the observance of any rites or particular classes and so on. He was saved because he turned his life over to Jesus Christ. Even in the midst of all that he had done in the past. And God gave him eternal life. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Of course, there is no longer any paradise now because a person who now dies does not go to paradise, but goes directly to heaven. The old military officer who returned from India was speaking to a public group, several people, and he was describing the beauty of India 
And the, he was such an eloquent speaker that he had everybody on the edge of their seats listening to his description of that beautiful country. I've never been there and don't know anything about it. But he was describing it as extremely beautiful. But he concluded by making this statement. He said, someday I'm going to see greater beauty than all that I have just described to you. Somebody said, well, where are you going to see all of that? When will that happen? He responded, I will see it in the first five minutes after I die. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. The description that John and Revelation and other writers throughout the scripture have given us of heaven would lead us to believe that the scripture is true when it says, I have not seen or ears heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Are you saved? Are you the thief on the cross who cried out to Jesus, if you really are the Christ, save yourself and me? Or are you the thief that simply says, Lord, remember me? You'll be one or the other. You'll have any choice in that. I'm going to ask us to do something this morning that I don't know if I've ever done. But I'm going to ask all of you, when we have a prayer in a moment, to let me formulate the prayer and every one of you repeat the prayer. It's a part of the invitation. I know that maybe everybody's saved, or at least most are saved. But we're all in need of salvation, which we have received, but let's go back to that point in our memory when we had not accepted Christ. And pray over, remember, pray over the prayer that maybe you prayed at that time. Or if you haven't prayed it, I want you to pray it right now. Will you do it? Just bow your heads and out loud, just repeat after me the, the, the prayer of, of the person who's not saved. I'll put it in my words. You just repeat it after me. But if, you, if you've never prayed this prayer, do it. If you have prayed it, repeat it. And we might together share in this moment. Dear Lord, I'm a sinner. Without you, I'm lost. I acknowledge my sin. I ask you to forgive me. Take me just like I am. Forgive me. Make me after your will. Receive me, Lord, just as I am. I don't make any plea. I don't make any excuses. I ask you to receive me right now because I love you and I want to be with you. I know you love me. I know you died on the cross for me. And I'm going to right now accept you. In Jesus' name.
And then let's just sing just as I am. Let us sing just as I am. If you prayed that prayer and are not a Christian, and you meant it, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat and come down the aisle and say, I prayed the sinner's prayer, and I meant it. And I want to receive the Lord, and I want this church to know. If you prayed that prayer, the first time you ever prayed it, you're not a, you're, you're not a Christian. You want to be. You meant that prayer. If you meant it as you prayed it, you're saved right now. Just confessing now before this congregation. Will you do it? Let's stand as we sing. Number 62. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.